We're back. Sort of. We're sort of back. Sort of. <laughs> it's been a weird couple weeks. One week <laughs> since we last recapped. Uh, and it was honestly really heartbreaking to not be able to release our recap of the Fantasy Suite episode that we recorded with Molly Bernard. Um, a lot of things are up in the air with the podcast right now. However, we could not let this season of The Bachelor end without some sort of audio conversation about it. Yeah, like much like Chris Harrison, we just can not bear to be apart from an episode <laughs> of this franchise for even two episodes or even one episode. We're doing our best here. So to round out Matt James's journey, the 25th season of The Bachelor, we're trying this. It's just going to be the two of us today. Sarah's in the control room for an audio edition of Rich Text. I'm Emma Gray. And I'm Claire Fallon. So yeah, let's rip this episode apart. Let's fucking do it. (laughs) So uh, just a heads up to everyone. uh, I have 14 pages of notes. I was really getting better. I was getting down to like seven to eight pages of notes. So we're going to try to... um, go a little lighter on some of the more formulaic parts of the episode and see how we do. Uh, So we open on finale night. And Chris Harrison, as we know, is absent. Except that his voice is, in fact, everywhere. It's everywhere. He's doing the voiceover for the entire Tonight on the Bachelor teaser. Like, it it was striking uh, in how present Chris was throughout this finale, given that this was the one episode he has been removed from. It was just a lot of Chris in this uh, Chris-free world. It's like you're in like the horror movie and you think you've escaped and everywhere you turn, it's like Chris's voice coming at you. Yeah, I was just like, oh my God, I'm trying to just like tune out these advertisements and Chris Harrison is speaking to me about his replacement, what is happening was very jarring. Yeah, I don't um, understand what they thought yeah. they were doing because, like, if you're a huge Chris Harrison fan, you're not going to be satisfied by this. If you think Chris Harrison should definitely not be here, then you're not going to be happy to hear his voice. So no they're, one won. They're playing it, it both make ways. Sense. Uh, I yeah. mean, classic, classic Bachelor franchise. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris is present And Michelle and Rachel, uh, Matt's final two, are going to meet Matt's brother and mom. Yeah. um, Matt just kicks off this episode by being like, listen, I got two great women. Michelle is kind. She's wonderful. She's glowing. She's everything you want in a wife. Rachel, obviously, I'm attracted to her. So we all know where this is headed. My Um, guy, this is not that is like not the kind of thing. That you want to hear someone <laughs> say about you. Like, I, I don't know. This is the killer thing about, like, the way that women are treated in the dating world is that both of those things are somehow not the things you want to hear. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, cool. So I'm – I check all the boxes, but I'm, like, probably not hot enough for you versus, like, you only – the thing you mostly – feel about me is that I'm hot and I have no substance. It's like both of these things are somehow compliments that are actually insulting. Yeah. Um, And this is what The Bachelor (laughs) loves to traffic in. It's like that's we get down to the final two and it's like the worthy one who's not going to get there and like 
her. Like, okay, like he thinks she's hot. Um, and Matt's brother, John, his older brother, and his mom, Patty, are there to see him. He is bringing in Michelle to talk to them first. I have to say for Michelle's date, his mom has toned down the blush. It's down to like a three out of five in the intensity <laughs> scale. Yeah. She took a note on the rouge, which for now well, we all we'll revisit we that. all like to change up our beauty routines every now and again. Um, um John, I wanna say, seems really aware of the cameras. Fair. Yeah. Like you see this yeah, sometimes he's like with- this dude is like, I did not sign up to be on this show, <laughs> but I love my brother. And that's sweet. Yeah, no, it's just funny how when he talks to Matt, you can like you can tell they're close. He loves his brother. He wants him to be happy. But he's also like always shifting around and like glancing at the cameras. He's like, what am I doing here? Like he's like, there's yawning so many people <laughs> in my fa- also it must be jarring after, you know, a year of COVID. So that yeah. also might be contributing. Also, just a lot of humans still cannot understand sitting down with my family to have a deep conversation about whether my brother is ready to propose to a woman like my family is very much just like. Your brother shows up. He's engaged. Everyone's very happy. <laughs> we knew it would happen. We didn't discuss it. Well, we just knew. Um, so Matt brings in Michelle. And Patty almost immediately starts crying. She is crying Patty throughout is just this. crying all over the place this whole episode. I mean, look, you can tell that this is a tight-knit family. You can tell that both his mother and brother care really, really deeply for Matt. And that that is is very sweet. Um, but Patty seems just like overcome by emotion by both Michelle and Rachel. Just like these women love her son and she is having like all the feels about it. Yeah. John pulls Michelle aside for a chat first. He's looking for a vibe, not specific words, which is great <laughs> because Michelle's vibes are without without par. Like she has exceptional vibes. <laughs> and... So we have the normal conversations here. I don't know. Did anything stand out to you? Not really. I mean, I thought it was interesting that uh, that John kind of acknowledged that he's never really seen Matt in a relationship. And now here he is talking about, like, his brother getting engaged, which, you know, perhaps is our first, uh, not first, but one, <laughs> one big signal that, like, Matt should not be getting engaged here. Um, and I think it's good that he doesn't. I mean... Spoiler... Spoiler. Uh, I, I I don't know. I think that was that was kind of it. I mean, we, yeah. we touched on Matt's mom kind of being weepy and, yeah. and really connecting with Michelle. An ongoing but, theme from his mom during these uh, dates, but it really stands out during this, is that she feels really, really emotional and torn up still about having been a single mom and so Michelle and Matt have both talked about him meeting her parents and how well they meshed and Patty says well you know he always chose friends with very strong families because it's something I couldn't offer him and you know Michelle says something very nice about how it's not a disadvantage that he comes from that background it's something she appreciates about him Matt's mom is very touched but like her like feelings of having like failed her sons in this and her anxieties about them sort of doing the same to a future partner are both very present in all of the conversations. Yes. Yeah. And and I think we were talking about this a bit last night, but you can you can sort of see how perhaps some of that anxiety and and feelings of failure got transferred to her 
her sons, um, which look like all parents are human and bring their shit into child rearing. Like that's just the human condition. That's how it goes. It's not like a knock on Matt's mom or anything, but I do think that you can kind of see that through line. And, and frankly, like her, her pain made me sad. Like it made me really sad that this woman who clearly has shown up for her kids in, in a major way, um, feels like a failure in in what was clearly like a very complicated relationship dynamic with um Matt's father that like certainly um seems to have been not like one person failed and thus x happened you know it it was obviously a complicated situation but yes. yeah that was present um but ultimately i think Michelle makes an amazing impression as she would. She's made an amazing impression on us. And Matt seems to just be really like at ease and joyful around her. And I think that uh, John and Matt's mom both pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. They both are feeling really good about things at this point. And so, and so Bye to Michelle. She has a little snowball fight with Matt on the way to the SUV. She's just so fun. It never ends, the fun with Michelle. And in comes Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. Um, He's like, she. he says Rachel brings out the best in him. And he wants his family's approval. And if that can't take place, we can't move forward. I feel like what he's kind of saying about Rachel is that... She shows a vulnerability around him that, like, encourages him to behave in the way he feels a man should. Like, she she gives him opportunities to be protective and reassuring to her. And I think that he does really like that in a way that men often do. And, like, it's part of a relationship, but also it's specifically sort of a dynamic that I think men are often drawn to of, like, the the woman who needs to be protected and comforted. Um and so he feels like that's what he needs to be in a relationship. And and he can be that with Rachel. Um, <laughs> it's all very weird watching this. Y'all. Yeah, very, very bleak <laughs> kind of knowing where this is going. Yeah, like we see that out. same dynamic turn into something very different during After the Final Rose. Um, and I want to say that during this date or meeting, Patty... Has a little more blush. We're back up to like a four or five out of five. Um, she she's reconsidered. <laughs> I I like that she's willing to change it up. You know why have a signature look when you can do it different ways? Exactly. And again, just kind of standard conversations with the family. Anything that stood out to you? I I thought the thing that that stood out the most to me was her conversation with Patty, in which she brings up the first night um, where Matt, you know, said a prayer over all of them. And she brings up how much that affected her. And I and it was so striking to me because I realized that that was something that like had very much stood out to, I think, both of us at the time and had stood out about Rachel specifically. But then over the course of Rachel's relationship with Matt, from what we, the audience, have seen, the religious element sort of disappeared 
Like it was very present at the beginning. It was subsumed by all this other stuff and kind of these like platitudes. And now it's back. And it's something that Rachel and Patty are really connecting on. And I was like, oh, right. That was a thing they were really emphasizing about Matt and about Matt and Rachel. And we like basically didn't see that. I mean, it was just one more reminder for me of how little we know about these people. Mm -hmm. Like even including Rachel, which is interesting. I mean, Matt's whole trajectory was like man of God into like child of a broken home. And that's it like that like he's kind of gone from one to the other right I guess he spent a whole middle portion kind of being like a, an investigator of bullying like yeah, that was a big that part of really, his arc that wasn't really about him though like we didn't learn anything no about but him. that's my point is that it wasn't about him and he spent a lot of his like a lot of his uh yeah exactly energy and presence a was dominated by things, things not about him yeah, that's that's true. Uh, he um, talks to his mom about his relationship with Rachel, and again, just like every everything about Rachel seems so oddly weighted now. But he says, you know, we just have so much fun together; it's natural. She's the one that he has like the absolute best chemistry with and the best like personality mesh with that he clearly just feels like it's completely effortless to be with her. And he says, well, I know there's more to a relationship than that, but we've talked about all that other stuff like we're we got it. And he says, I see how she carries herself. And like he thinks it's foreshadowing for how she would handle future challenges, which is like, I just want to know so much more. I don't know if I should get to know so much more, but I do think there's something to be said for like Rachel could have handled things that happened after the show worse for sure. Um, I think it's been good that she has accepted a lot of uh, responsibility, that she's been trying to do the work. And maybe that's something that Matt saw on her. On the other hand, he put she put him through a lot, and we learn more detail about what was going on behind the scenes. But it, I do wonder how much they actually talked about her understanding of what it would mean to be with a black man, to potentially have black children. I wonder how much they had really explored that before all these things started to come out after right. the show. I mean, we know that there was at least one conversation that was cut from the last episode that was teased um, in a promo early on. And so, yeah, we and just we simply seem to don't be know. Seeing, what we seem to see her saying there is like, love is love. Right. No, no, not a not a promising clip, but right. we, we don't know really what the contents of that conversation ultimately were. And we don't know, um, you know, what conversations they had afterwards. And yeah, these are just maybe questions we're going to have to sit with and, yeah. and not have answers. To. It's just hard to see him, you know, saying I can tell that from what I know of her that we'll be able to get through everything life can throw at us it's and to very just dark. know it's how quickly dark. that proved not to be the case because of because of her actions <clears throat> um but patty and john are seem to be basically on board with rachel as well um and he's like but patty great. is not on board with an engagement <laughs> he's like, like this like- went great all i need is that little bit of clarity and validation like he wants to go in and be like 
so it's Rachel, right? You know, like they always do. They go back and they see their family and they just confirm that if they pick the person they want to pick, their family would be okay with it. And that's not what happens. Patty's like, so engagement is love enough? I mean, <laughs> it's it's not. <laughs> like, just to be clear, no. <laughs> let me, yeah, let me answer I mean, that. I kind of always love when the parents come in at this point and they're like, I love my child. I trust their judgment. But I also you feel that like part of them being there is that they want to just like bring their kid a little bit out of the bubble and like back down to earth for a second and be like, you're in this very specific situation. You don't have to do this thing that seems like the inevitable conclusion of what you're doing. Um, And I mean, I think she's right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's it's. A scene that I found really interesting to watch. She clearly loved both the women. She's like, if they, if you brought them into the family, I would be thrilled to, you know, to have either one of them in the family. They're both fantastic. However, like, it, why, why can't loving one of them just mean committing to a relationship where you see where it goes? But at this point, I do think she's sort of, like, starting to process some of her personal feelings about her her breakup with their dad. And that is so obvious to Matt. Like, it's basically text in the conversation. It's not yeah, even subtext. Like, she's saying – she starts out, I think, trying to issue a sort of measured warning. And then she sort of gets caught up in her feelings. She's saying, you right. know, love is trust. It's communication. They both love you, but – Oh, feelings come and go. There's nothing like being in love. Right. It's wonderful. People, people, but people can fall leave. out of love. It's yeah. And so you see her like grappling with these memories and this kind of unresolved pain. And that's bringing up exactly the same stuff for Matt. Like immediately he's like, yes, she's talking about my dad. She's talking about what we all went through. She's talking about what she went through. Could I put, would I put one of these women through that? And this what became a thing that was really hard for me to see. Like I supported the idea of his mom being like, take a beat. Like, you don't have to jump into this. But it was hard to see how much this translated for Matt into, I am... She's telling me I'm my father. Right. Like, I carry this original sin. I'm going to do the same thing as my dad. I'm flawed. I'm not good enough. My love isn't good enough. It just, like... There's a lot that I feel like this family needs to deal with. I was going to say, like, I think that, like, a a family therapist would be really helpful here. Like, there's just things that aren't processed. And that's, look, again, that is how trauma works. It Mm. really, like, leaves a lasting impression on everyone touched by it for a very long time. And it do- that doesn't just, like, unknot itself overnight. Um, so you can, like, see where this is all coming from. But it doesn't take away that it's, like, painful to see that kind of, like, hoisted on Matt, um, who is clearly a very thoughtful person who doesn't seem mom. like – Loves his mom. He's always, and, like, and, stroking and, her knee and her shoulder. Yeah. He's – they're very close. Like, he almost seems to be saying at points that, like, I want to get engaged so that, like, I don't have to, like, rely on you so much. Like, he's almost like, my mom is such a significant person in my life that I talk to about things. Maybe it's time for me to, like, have a partner for that instead. They're very enmeshed. Yeah. I want good things for Matt. Yeah. I want good things. 
So after this, Matt is just he's like shaken. not okay. Uh, and he's really just like, yeah, my mom's words took me back to a dark place. I'm thinking about my dad not being ready, how it hurt my mom, it destroyed the family, and now I'm not sure if I'm ready. Um, and now so they need to send in the doubt. big guns. Oh my god, that means Chris Harrison, clearly the person equipped. Yeah, so the, to take Matt through this the, emotional turmoil. The way that we were talking about the family needing therapy, the show is like, what if instead of that, we sent in Chris fucking Harrison to mock Matt's mom and her advice to her son in the in, in this in the interest of convincing Matt to propose to someone he's not sure of proposing to on TV in Chris's, two days? Like tone was so bizarre and like all over the place during this episode like his presence was very i didn't like it and we didn't need it i didn't want it i mean i don't know clearly he was very present during the end of this season and i get that like there wasn't much they could do about a lot of it um that being said there were (laughs) there were other things they could have done to minimize the amount of time i had to put up with chris harrison in my ear holes but yeah, Matt's just like, after I talked to my my mom, she was grilling me about whether I'm really ready. And I saw how emotional she was thinking about how the love between her and my dad faded away. Um, and so the more I learn about my family and myself and what it takes to have a healthy relationship, the more I'm just not sure I'm ready to commit. And Chris is like, wow, that is a lot. That is a lot to unpack. Do you think He's Chris like, can Matt, unpack this for us? <laughs> no. No. He's like, my. I have a solution, Matt. What if we say that the current feelings you're expressing aren't the real you? Chris knows a lot about <laughs> expressing words and thoughts that just aren't the real yeah. him. The more authentic you know? they seem, the yeah. less authentic they are. The yeah, closer they you to the <laughs> script provided by Bachelor that, that's Production, authenticity. that's authenticity. That's what, yeah. yeah. So he's just like, look, Matt, take it from me. A guy who certainly has never expressed any racism. Not me. <laughs> not I. That's not the real Chris. Think about you, a person who 100% is ready to get engaged because who knows you better? Me, a guy who talked to you a week ago, or your mother? Yeah. Who can say? He's literally like, there was a time when you believed your wife was in that room. It's like, Chris, every guy says that. Like, show me a bachelor (laughs) who hasn't said that, and I'll show you a bachelor who's maybe actually married to the woman he picked. Like, doesn't exist. Um, (laughs) With apologies to Sean. Um, Yeah, like, he literally, Matt says to him, yeah, like I I felt that way, but if you don't have a change of heart after getting new information or a new perspective, that's silly. Like you've got to be open to that. And Chris says, "What? New information like mom says feelings change, love fades. Don't worry, love ends." What kind of greeting card is that? He is straight up mocking Matt's so mom, rude. which is just wild. Like what effect did he think that this would have on Matt, who is the biggest mama's boy I think I've ever <laughs> like seen on this franchise he is like he adores his mom so like the tactic here is not strategic on chris's part and 
Matt's like, look, my mom knows I'm taking this seriously. She cares about me and she loved both the women. She just really doesn't want me to like make a bad decision. And Chris is like, also, dude, (laughs) Patty cares a lot more about Matt's well being than Chris fucking Harrison does. Oh, okay. Chris, all Chris cares about is Matt's well being and the woke police (laughs) and how they need to, frankly, He's like, next, the woke police will be here for greeting cards of America, stripping Uh, all the romance (laughs) out. Um, So Chris realizes that the mockery is not working. He has to change his tone. So he's like, what are you scared of, Matt? And Matt says, I just want to make the right decision and not do something because it's what I should do. Chris says, so you don't want to get engaged. And Matt's like, that would be the easy thing. It's what they want to hear. But then what? It sets up my relationship on a course that we're not ready for. Um, And Chris is like, okay, so what now? And Matt says, let's just keep going and see what happens, basically. So the next day, Matt's sitting on on a picnic table in the snow, just thinking about engagement. It's all he thinks about. It's all he does. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He just chills out in Nima Colon and thinks about getting engaged. And it's the morning of his last date with Michelle. And they are going to rappel down the side of a building. I mean, look, usually these like big, uh, you know, in intense physical uh, adrenaline dates are reserved for earlier in the season. But like, they're like, look, we have limited options we really didn't give Michelle a fantasy yeah, date. We had to like trap her inside with vats of milk. So yeah, they're like, it's not too late to trauma bond them. Yeah, exactly. Um, liter- Michelle even calls this out. She's like, I'm already in love with Matt, so I don't need to fall to become more in love. I but, love like, that. <laughs> I, I love that so much. Um, they both point out that love is like a leap of faith. Matt is very earnest about this. And Michelle is like, as long as the leap of faith is connected to a rope and a harness, I legitimately can't wait for her to be bachelorette. I hope that they let her be fun. I know she is just such good vibes. Um, I'm, I'm excited for her season. And so they rappel down the chateau, which is taller than it looks. Uh, pretty scary. It like took them a while. Yeah, it looked, it looked frightening. Not as tall as what they usually would repel. This is clearly the ho- the highest building on Nima Colon's grounds, um, and it's quite tall. It's not a skyscraper, but uh, a healthy scare. Claire, for I think them. I think we need to take a trip to Nima Colon now that we have time. Uh, I have a car. I think we should road trip to Nima Colon and like really just do some scouting this is and, what like, they understand want the layout. you to do they want you to be like seduced. oh is that what like, product placement oh, is meant to do <laughs> i want i want to go to nema colon for we can get away i want to have dinner in a showroom full of antique cars i want to have a milk bath yeah i mean if this this season has done anything it's it's uh, made you want to have a milk Nima bath. colon is yeah the most romantic place on earth where you go to get doused in milk and oatmeal. Yeah. So. <laughs> Specifically that kind of place. Um, so they make it to the bottom and then they get to have their reward, which is hanging out in a parking lot where there has been a heart shape painted on the pavement on a little sofa and talk about their families. And 
she asks about whether he's feeling ready for an engagement. And he does not at this point tip his hand that he's not sure at all. He's like, oh, it's so important to talk to my parents and like figure out, you know, what's going on, get some clarity. Um, She's like, yeah, 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 sure. But inside Matt's like, I don't know if I can get there with Michelle. So he's gearing himself up to come into the night hang and lay all his cards on the table. His cards all being like, sorry, it's not going to be you. Uh, And poor Michelle is just like building herself up for like the ultimate romantic night. She's clearly been talking to her producers about like a romantic gesture she can make. This is often the time when, I mean, in, in, in older Bachelor seasons where like, the the final few would would give a, a token like you a know scrapbook. A, a scrapbook or a child like photo album, but Michelle has a really special gift for matching. She actually has a gift that is more commonly seen on like the first night as like a limo yeah. exit thing, um, and it's a limo exit thing that I really hate. Sorry, Michelle. Uh, what she has gotten for him are two basketball jerseys. That's... And one says Mrs. James on it. I, uh, I'm i sorry. I hate it, too. Yeah. I hate it. I She's hate given it. them and the team Michelle. name World Changing Warriors. It is meant to represent that they would be a team taking on the world together. Which That, that part's cute. I like, I like changing the world together. That's a nice. It's very nice. Thought. And you know what? I would not do well on the show because I would come on and be like, here is your jersey. It says Mr. Fallon James. And mine yeah. says Ms. Fallon James. That's how you know we're yeah. a team. And he would be like, "Exactly. I, why would I want this when I could have a hotter woman who will take my name? I don't understand. You're like, I don't know, but I guess I'll see myself out. I've um, been misled yeah. by feminism. I know. I was like, wow. This is what I've learned. Feminism ruins love. <laughs> We're just learning so many things from this show. Um, um, so- but this, unfortunately, this jersey has the opposite impact of what Michelle is clearly intending. And it, it's very similar to the way that Nick Vile would react when women <laughs> would tell tell him that they loved him. This is like the equivalent for Matt where he's like, oh, my God, we can't be a, a duo team in which you take my identity and name. <laughs> um, you're not it. I need this other hot young woman to uh, be subsumed into my identity. Yeah. Thank you for Poor making Michelle. yourself totally available to me so that I can finally <laughs> understand that I don't love you. Um, it is the Nick Vile classic, and this is what uh, happens with with poor Michelle, he does already seem to kind of know what's happening coming into the date. And at this point, he's like, I can't let this go on any longer. It's too awful. Um, so he sort of tells her that he has to, like, say something, basically. But he struggles to get started. He's very somber. And finally, he says, you know, everything's just becoming real for me now, finally at the very end, like two days before the end. And he says he's been having doubts and he doesn't think he should be having them so close to the proposal. And that this is the first time he's had a feeling other than wanting to be with her forever. And he's scared by the doubt. He's been trying to push through the feeling, trying to get there because he knows they would have an amazing life. 
Um, and he says, the easy thing will be to tell you what you want to hear. This is a running theme for him, this episode. And she says, well, I don't want that. And she says, what, it, I want clarity on what this is, on whether I should fight for you or not. I found this moment to be so relatable. Like, you could almost feel the veneer of the show break mm-hmm. when Michelle was just like, tell me what you're really feeling. Just level with me. Yeah. Like, it, it felt like she was just fucking imploring him to do away with the vernacular of the show, do away with the platitudes, and just, like, it's like, just put me out of my fucking misery yeah. and tell me what you mean by this. Because it, at first it was definitely a little bit unclear as to, like, is he saying he has doubts about an engagement? Is he saying he's still unsure and just doesn't want to, like, guarantee something to her? Or is he saying that, like, she's definitely not it? Yeah. And he wasn't being clear about I that, that at what, first. And I, I think that layoffs are not dissimilar in this way. That, like, <laughs> to a breakup, that, like, no, you true. want them to be both as quick as possible so that you're not left wondering what's really being said to you. But when they're very quick, then you're like, I've been blindsided. That was so sudden. Like I went from having a relationship or like a stable job of a decade. (laughs) And now I have, I don't, I don't. And like, I didn't see it coming, but like seeing it coming is one of the most painful parts of the process. So you both want that and don't want that because what she says first is like, you know, just tell me, like, it's excruciating to hear you doing the the lead up here. But then when he does tell her, she says, it's hard to feel like with the flip of a switch, this connection is gone. Because when you feel someone pulling away from you, that sucks. You want it to be over. But then the faster it happens, you're like, how did that happen so fast? And breakups just like fucking suck. And they just fucking suck no matter how you slice it. And like, there are things that you can do as the person in control to, I think, like, mitigate the feelings of, like, disrespect that someone might have that, like, I think um, outlast those initial feelings of sadness. But in the moment, like, there's no way to do it right because ultimately what you want when you're on the receiving end of being broken up with is to not be broken up with. Yeah. You want something that just isn't on the table anymore. And Matt is trying to be sensitive and and do this nicely but finally she's like just tell me what's going on Art, do you want me to fight for this is it already over and he says i can't get there with you and she's like it's hard to feel like with the flip of a switch this connection is gone and matt says i don't want you to think it was with the flip of a switch which like i don't think that that's actually gonna make her feel better it's like actually i've no. been pulling away from you I've, for a long time yeah. you had no idea <laughs> He's trying to say the right thing. Everyone's yeah, just trying everyone's to do trying. their best here. Um, and so she walks him out. Matt leaves. He's very emotional. He's like pacing the driveway outside. And of course, what's happening is that Chris is on his way <laughs> yet again. My God. This fucking guy keeps showing up. We can't get rid of him. Uh, no. Matt is sitting on the curb. Chris plonks down next to him and is like, are you okay? And Matt says, no, I'm not. And Chris is like, sorry. It's tough to let such an incredible woman walk away. And Matt's like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, bud. It's like, yeah, that's the hardest part. And Chris says, part of you loved her. And Matt says, yeah, but I wasn't in love with her. Um, It's just a – it's – brutal and I felt for Matt and I wanted um better for him than, than Chris was offering in terms of 
that like emotional soothing. Yeah. And he's still clearly thinking about, he's still thinking about the look on his mom's face and like the, the pain that she went through and that they all went through. And he's like, you know, my dad still hasn't taken accountability. He'll never be ready for marriage. So he's really having this feeling of like deep doubt about whether he is capable of what he has set out to do here. Yeah. And um, I just, I think that maybe he just needs to like practice and have some more committed relationships, but he's clearly really fearful of it, um, understandably. Right. He seems to have set a bar for himself where like, I mean, and we all do this, right? These like sort of self-fulfilling prophecies where you're so afraid of failing in some way, not, you know, not being good enough in some way, no matter what that is, that you almost create that reality Mm -hmm. um, because that's the thing that's like that fear is like dominating all of your actions. Um, And yeah, I think a lot of that is just like going through more life experiences that that teach you by showing that like things don't have to be the way that you thought they had to be. Like, I think for a long time, I, like, fully believed that if I didn't perform my best all the time in a relationship, that, like, I would be abandoned, that I couldn't, like, have conflict Mm -hmm. and not be abandoned. And, like, the thing that changed that was being in a relationship where I could have conflict and not be abandoned. And it, like, just kind of took that. And it feels like that's that's where Matt is, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think – my thing was always like I'm not desirable enough to like be loved and so that manifested as just constantly questioning my partners about how they could possibly be into me and like asking them if they were into someone else and like that's not attractive and so I think what I needed to experience was like totally fucking destroying a relationship by doing that And being like, it might have still ended, but it would have been a lot more pleasant for everyone if I wasn't constantly doing that. Um, You kind of have to, like, experience relationships on some level and also therapy. Um, Yeah, therapy helps, too. (laughs) For sure. Did did that as well. Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that Matt is not – he didn't come to this – ready for what the show is on a relationship level and – it's hard to see him going through a lot of really raw processing that um, has exposed his family in a lot of ways and him in ways that I think he might feel uncomfortable with now uh, he's hinted. And I just hope that what he got out of it was to him worth it um, at least. uh, And that he is set up for success in the future. Um, but at this point, he's still really worried about Rachel. He's like, Rachel is the person who's still here. I don't want to put her through what my mom went through. So he's still seeing himself as sort of the potential villain in his relationship. And that's how he conceives of his his personality and his his person. Like, he is the, the failure waiting to happen. Right. And Rachel is kind of getting ready for her last big date with Matt. And Chris Harrison knocks on the door. Again, Chris, like, Chris really? Harrison is there. Chris is there. He just sidles in. He knocks. He's leaning up against the door frame. He's got this pitying look he's on like, his face. He's oh, like, hey. 
poor baby. I'm about to disappoint you. Yeah, he says, I was with Matt last night. He's emotional. He needs some time. There's not going to be a date today. I'll let you know what's next. Um. So Rachel is, like, if you I mean, were in Rachel's position, I'm sure you would think what she thought, which is, like, this is about me. Like, he's I having doubts about me. I think literally everything is about me, even when I have much more information <laughs> than what Rachel has. So, like, that is relatable. Like, I would be going back through the canon of the Bachelor franchise and being like, when has a lead ever canceled a last yeah. chance date? And what has it meant? And has it ever worked out for that person? <laughs> um, she's not, she's, and, you know, this whole time she's been, like, getting slammed into the ground. And Matt's been like, I can't imagine life without you. Suddenly he doesn't want to see her. She's baffled. I mean, there's nothing worse than, like, being in a situation and not receiving any context or information about it. And that is, like, what this show does so well to make all of its players just insane. Yeah. She says, loving Matt has been pretty easy. Maybe that's why I feel so hurt right now because this is the only time he's made it harder. That was a comment that, again, just seems more telling given what happens later and all the ways that she made the relationship harder for him. Um, And meanwhile, Matt is just like chilling at his bachelor pad, just thinking like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband? Neil Lane is there to guide him through it. You know, they were like, Chris Harrison isn't enough therapy. (laughs) They're really also need Neil Lane. (laughs) They're really dialing up the Neil Lane in the recent seasons. They're like, when when you go to a jeweler in real life, he's not just a jeweler. He's also a counselor, you know? (laughs) He's the person you turn to to find out, you know, what love really means and whether you will be a good husband to the 24-year-old. He's like, what it means is, will you choose a pear-shaped diamond? (laughs) We learned that it's Neil's own favorite. We've learned more about Neil at this point than we have about (laughs) Matt this season. Neil's mother had a pear-shaped diamond, and now it's his favorite. He thinks it's a romantic stone. Matt also loves it. And he decides to keep the pear-shaped diamond ring just to hold it just to like see if it turns him into a husband type of guy, <laughs> just to feel the weight of it. I mean, the rings have been known to do that. To see if he can break it, because Neil was like, you can't break it. Can he, though? He's pretty strong. Like, Matt has a lot of things <laughs> he needs to do with this ring. And so he's going to hold on to it. He's not going to give it to Rachel, but he is going to keep the ring just for a little bit, just to like hold it in his little pocket. So, thanks, Neil for this moment of clarity for everyone. <laughs> and Matt's just feeling, you know, everything is weighted to him now. He's like, this ring is what my dad couldn't give to my mom. It represents broken promises. I would never want to take it off Rachel's finger if I put it on. So, like, thank God that he held off. <laughs> um, And what comes next is proposal day, which the way this is introduced to Rachel, I found confusing. I'm sure off screen she was being told exactly what was going on. She gets a knock, an envelope under the door. It's a date card that says, Rachel, I'm so sorry for making you wait. I've had a lot on my mind the last few days. You deserve answers. Meet me at the lake. This sounds like they're going to just have a conversation, but it is the proposal day meeting. Right. It's very clearly like the finale situation. She gets dressed in, you know, her gown 
but like it, it's not quite telegraphed to us except with the outfits it is it was very yeah it was confusing they did have a quite like a grand setup though for this uh <laughs> It's interesting. It's like an open patio with a roaring fire in a fireplace that's not set into a wall. And then like posts holding up a little thatched roof. It's very like rustic and there's just there's something very bachelory about it to me yeah yeah i know i i was i was like sort of comforted by it (laughs) um rachel shows up and she's i really loved her her gown she looks extremely good in like a deep green Mm -hmm. we've seen her wear this color a few times and like i i loved the the green sequins i thought it was really beautiful but yeah she must have been cold because it was like literally snowing yeah uh, yeah. uh yeah and meanwhile matt is like i don't know what i'm gonna say to rachel i love her but like what am i gonna say i'll just see what comes to me um and so she walks up to him and of course as always i've tried to transcribe both of their speeches in full <laughs> do you want to do rachel or matt i'll do rachel okay. I pictured this going a certain way and i imagined how it would feel standing here before you like this And then yesterday happened and it changed everything. I hated going into today on that note, but I hated more than anything the thought of you hurting and you being confused and you not wanting to see me because I want to be there for you when you're hurting. Dagger, dagger. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. I don't know what happened yesterday, but I do know I'm not going to run when it gets tough. (laughs) Dagger, dagger, dagger. I don't know if you still want this but regardless I feel so unbelievably lucky just to have felt what I have felt for you I've never felt a love like this in my entire life and at the end of the day I just want you to be happy (laughs) but I just know with all of my heart that I love you and I will choose you every day from here on out if you'll let me oh my god the subject it was just the foreshadowing it was like fucking brutal they could not have like teed up the horrible things that happen next any better um and matt replies i came to this journey to find love and i didn't know what it looked like i didn't know what to expect because it's not something i experienced and everything i came looking for i found with you it's scary to think about because i want to be everything to you i want to be everything for you that my dad wasn't to my mom uh and as i'm wrestling with what i'm going to do today the easy thing for me to do would be to brush those feelings and emotions off and make you happy and that's to propose to you today but I couldn't live with myself if I put you through what my mom's been through. It's just so sad to me that this is just at the foreground of his declaration so of love, um, that he thinks that he will just do that uh, when he commits to someone. I've seen rushing through a proposal, what rushing through a proposal marriage can do to a family, and it's ugly. It's not something I want for you, for us, and that's why I can't propose to you today. But that doesn't mean I want to lose you. When I think about the life I want to live, I think about living that life with you. I want to leave here with you and I want to commit to you and to every day building on what we started here. The truth is that I love you. I'm in love with you. And I do see you as my wife. I see you as the mother of my kids. I see those kids being crazy. I just want to make sure my love is enough for you. And Rachel says, of course oh. it is. Um, he gives her the final rose. So like they seem very happy uh, in this moment. Um, and she seems, you know, you never know how this could have played out differently if they had had a relationship that was not 
you know, touched by these things from her past. Um, But even in the moment, she seems, like, comfortable with not being proposed to. Like, she seems really happy that they are... He doesn't, like, taunt her with a ring, which sometimes they do. Yeah. No, she seems, like, mostly just really relieved to be chosen in some capacity. And look, I I believe her when she says that she feels those things about him or that those feelings feel unprecedented. Like, Mm. she's also only 24 years old. And, Mm. like, there's something really impactful about feeling like really really deep love for someone for the first Mm -hmm. time and also like really impactful about like losing that Mm -hmm. love um I think especially if your actions contributed to that yeah so you know it's just this sort of begins the whole rest of the episode which just felt like it's deeply deeply sad yeah after the final rose kicks off we have uh, finally, blessedly, Chris Harrison is absent <laughs> it's for real. Time for Emmanuel Acho to take over, and he has a really tough task at hand because he is. I mean, he's a he's a sports analyst. He's also like he hosts a YouTube series um, and wrote a book based on it. The you know uncomfortable conversations with a black man. So like talking about about race in this honest way is sort of is clearly one of the main reasons that they wanted him to host this particular after the final rose but it's not just going to be that it's also going to be talking to michelle about getting her heart broken it's also going to be talking to rachel uh and matt about their breakup and talking to the new bachelorettes you know there's a lot of different emotional modes and it's a lot of switching a lot of uh very difficult pivots yeah it's like heartbreak love are you ready to move on structural racism back together (laughs) structural racism the antebellum south let's define it for the people whose you know history classes deeply failed them in this country i mean it's just it's a lot and frankly i think given all of that he like does a pretty damn good job um you can tell that he like loosens up as the night goes on he also just like takes fashion risks that, frankly, Chris could never. He does not have the range. I simply cannot see Chris in a a red turtleneck and a form-fitting plaid suit. I I couldn't see it. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't want to, uh, (laughs) more to the point. Um, I think that the conversation with Michelle is perhaps the the most uh, rocky, just in the sense that you just see the difficulty that an, a, a newcomer to the franchise has in, like, taking seriously the emotional torment of someone who dated a guy for two weeks on TV. So when he's asking Michelle, like, oh, it still hurts for you, right? You were really in love with him. Like, he seems he mostly, like, like amused <laughs> and, like, kind of amused. <laughs> he's kind of grinning. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, the tears. Yeah. Michelle, you're like, Emmanuel, show some sensitivity here. Um, Um, But look, it's tough. It's his first time doing it. Yeah, his intro is like, this is about The Bachelor. It's all about love. Matt and Rachel found love. But first, let's talk to a woman who didn't find love with Matt. Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for being here. I was really laughing at that intro. But, um, you know, Um, I do think that he, he really... He showed his he hit his stride a little later yeah and uh and you know 
Michelle is obviously still in a a pretty emotional place, but she also uh, is ready to kind of move on. I think that the way that things ended up playing out with Matt actually did give her some closure in the sense that she was mad at him. And so she was able to kind of move on. Um, she And also she got the offer to be the next Bachelorette, which I think always um, helps. is helpful. Helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, she uh, tells Emmanuel Acho that she didn't get the closure she needed in that last conversation because she wasn't okay at all. She really was a mess after he left that last date. She had uh, things she needed to say to him just to get peace with the situation, not to change his mind, but he refused to talk to her even for a couple minutes. And she thinks she deserved that conversation. Um, And then he also brings up the photos of the antebellum ball. So he uh, talks to everyone on stage about the photos of Rachel that surfaced during the season, um, including Michelle. Um, I feel like you could sense um, Michelle's like teacher side come out in this moment where she was just like, yeah, those photos show like a deep ignorance of history and what, you know, the antebellum South uh, and a celebration of it actually means and represents for black people. Um, And it was, it was interesting. Like, I think we talked about um, how it did feel like those final three women were pretty friendly with each other. Mm -hmm. Or I guess actually this was in our episode that got cut, but we talked (laughs) about how they, how they seemed to, um, get along pretty well. And I feel like you could f- sense that like generosity with the way that Michelle spoke about Rachel. But yeah. Um, and also a sense of, she says she was hurt as she started to hear more. And that like kind of hurt does, I think tend to be sharper when you think of someone as a friend, as a friend. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And to realize absolutely. that you were sharing, like she and Rachel were on the show together for a long time and we're down to last few together and to find out that someone that you shared that that time and space with had done these things so recently must have been felt like a bit of a betrayal really painful really painful um yeah yeah I thought that that was interesting that that she did get space to speak about it I also was looking at the um press photos of this episode and saw that there was a segment that was clearly cut where Rachel and Michelle were on the stage together. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of disappointed by that because I, I, I really wonder what was said. Um, yeah. I, and I wonder what conversations, if any, they, the two of them have had like on a personal level. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I'm curious to hear what a lot of other commentators have to say about this finale. I haven't really read or listened to any other commentary yet. Um, and I don't think that I'm in the best position to evaluate a lot of what happened last night. I just want to no. say that up front. Um, we are, we are, we remain two white ladies. So yeah. like, you know, none of the apologies, of course, that are issued or the, con- like, it, it's not our yeah place to, to accept or reject yeah. and um, it, any of that. It did just seem like in some ways, another moment where a black woman on the show had to spend her time in the limelight 
talking about the racist actions of some white people around her. They also talk about Chris Harrison's interview um, with Rachel Lindsay. And she says it was just another weight that was added onto all these already difficult feelings. And she says, you know, people are just talking around and addressing and apologizing and making statements, all of these things going on, but nothing is really changing. And you just get to be exhausted. And Emmanuel Acho says, well, you can't resolve all that tonight, but we can address some of the grieving around Matt. Matt's here. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a pivot. What What a a fucking pivot, Emmanuel. But I I thought that that was interesting because there was there were two moments, this one with Michelle and I think one with Matt, where like we get so close to um, speaking about the ways that this show and its structures court and compound racist harm but then we stop short right like it's like oh people are talking no one's making changes and it's like to what yeah what changes but instead it's like well let's pivot to talking about the grief you feel about matt right well and also this comes down to like what are we expecting of michelle to have to prosecute this case Right. But then she isn't even really given the space to do it Um, either way. So we don't end up talking about the show. It's almost like if Chris if Chris Harrison's voiceover was going to be so fucking omnipresent, like he should have been the one answering for these things in the hot seat with Emmanuel Acho. Right. Like Like, the, the closest we've gotten to that is his interview with Michael Strahan on GMA. Um, which was extremely unsatisfying. Uh, so uh, in a way, I didn't want to have to watch that again. But Right. I, but we, I didn't want Chris Harrison there, <laughs> but it was like odd to, to feel like, and the show does this all the time. They put the responsibility for any sort of like ills even that the show has caused onto um, their cast members as avatars and as the people, the guides to sort of lead the audience through this. I mean, we saw that, also with Bachelor in Paradise mm-hmm. when they were dealing with conversations about sexual assault. It was like on the cast to explain the intricacies of, you know, racial violence and also like sexual violence against women. Like it was just – and it ignored and it sidestepped yeah. the role that the show played. Um, yeah, we just see the mess. show giving – space to a conversation in a way that I'm glad they did. It happened after a lot of outside pressure. And I do think that things were said and discussed that it it was valuable for the audience to see to hear. a lot of this, yeah. you know, the predominantly white, often conservative audience to see this being taken really seriously and to have it discussed why it should be taken seriously. But it also ends up just being the show um, kind of excusing itself you know by giving the space to have this conversation but not backing up their you know the the values that they're trying to signal here by making commitments to change for the show by like really supporting these people um from their position of power um so anyway Emmanuel calls matt out to talk to michelle and she tells him, you know, how hard it was that he wouldn't have that last conversation with her. And he's like... He apologizes. He's basically like, sorry, I just didn't know that you really wanted to talk that bad. 
It's like I would have done it if I really realized that you wanted to. I mean, to. also, who knows how these messages were being communicated between like producers? Like we we don't know. They they still kind of act as though they have this complete control over the contestants' interactions, as if that like airplanes and text messages don't exist. Like even to the point that Emmanuel Acho with both women it keeps being like, "This might be the last time you'll ever see him." And I'm like, "I guess." Like in the they, sense that it could they could DM him even if they don't have his number. Like there's ways. Right. There's, we have email. We have text. Like you we don't have like the show does not have the ability to keep them apart in the way that seems to be I mean maybe they never will again it's always possible that when you see someone it's the last time you know that's just mortality but (laughs) or circumstances of life but um there is this sense that like they're being really insistent on like we are in control of all these interactions um who knows I also found it I found it notable that as Matt is uh, is apologizing for what you know he put um Michelle through emotionally he also like it felt clear to me that throughout this experience Matt has kind of had his own um racial awakening and and reckoning and kind of thinking about the the way that more the way that blackness plays out you know on a structure like the bachelor um and he kind of says you know I'm sorry you had to go through that. And also, like, I admire the way you carry yourself. And I'm sorry for all of the, like, emotional labor that you had to take on just being a black woman in this position on the show. Um, And I thought even just, like, the acknowledgement of that is something that we probably never would have imagined um, hearing on this show, unfortunately, like, a few short months ago. Yeah, it's... Comparing to the and like I'm not in a position to say how how well that would be received by Michelle or like if that's what anyone who's a black woman wanted to hear from him. But I do know that it's a different approach than at the beginning of the season when a lot of the emphasis was like, oh, people are going to want me to like pick a certain kind of woman and I'm going to let them down, which I think a lot of black women watching the show received as signaling that he didn't want to pick a black woman, that he was interested in dating white women. So like at the beginning of the show, there seemed, I think, to be a sense, an impression that he felt like these political considerations were an unnecessary, like annoyance in a certain way and and he's really been through the ringer with this show like and that's got to be to some degree like still more eye-opening even from what he's already experienced just growing up black in america um i would imagine again like you know just just a white lady here but um at this point Emmanuel asks if she still loves him and she's like nah (laughs) not really like I still care about him but like I'm not in love and I'm glad that we were able to like resolve this and like we can be cool again and she says uh, she closes with a nice little burn she's like you'll I, I hope you find your happiness and move on kissing with your eyes closed and I hope that you find more phrases than thanks for sharing (laughs) Oh, it was great. We get, like, a nice warm laugh from Matt, who, like, I I actually love when Matt um, really gets into his his laughs because he, like, throws his head back and he looks, like, so full of joy. It's just, 
it was like a nice moment of levity in a in a finale that was like largely very um very heavy and yeah. uh just Michelle is a delight excited to see more of her and then we move into Emmanuel having a one-on-one conversation with Matt and he sort of opens by like asking Matt and giving Matt the floor to speak about what it was like to be the first black bachelor um and and what that pressure was like and Matt is able to kind of speak to the fact that yeah, as a black person, like there's a huge level of scrutiny when you're the first to do anything and you are bear the burden of sort of being responsible for the way that a lot of white people and knowing the audience of this franchise, like a lot of racist white people, um, uh, like how those people will think about how all black people, how all black men move about the world and conduct themselves in relationships. And that's just like too much for any one person to have to to bear. Um, and I, yeah, it was just like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, the, the, a lot of this conversation, it's in a way like a more honest conversation about race than we would ever see on the show. And it's also so clearly geared towards a white, toward a white audience. audience and and like yeah. even saying repeatedly like he and emmanuel and matt both kind of say you know you feel this pressure to represent blackness well to people like maybe you're the first person like yourself that some of the audience will have in your home maybe you'll be the only person like yourself that someone will see that day and you want to like perform well and this is like a pressure that like it's just racist that this pressure exists and it's not yes it's like there should there should be no extra demand on matt or emmanuel to like behave in a certain way to represent their people um, right, like we're just seeing one more way that white supremacy plays out in this country and it's very acute um, in the in the structure of The Bachelor. And it's like a, an interesting dance that the show is doing and that I think Emmanuel Acho is doing in which he is, he is serving as like, as a black man, he is also serving as the white audience stand-in, mm. you know, as the interviewer and asking questions that likely are not <laughs> indicative of his personal feelings or questions he actually has. But he's sort of mirroring what this white often ignorant audience might be asking in their own homes um and so even in this conversation about blackness and about race whiteness still feels very central it reminded me a lot of the uh the conversation about oprah's interview with harry and megan and her kind of reactions to megan talking about um the racism she experienced from within the royal family um you know lots of like what and wow and it's like well of course oprah isn't surprised by this stuff but there is like a comfort that the predominantly white female audience of shows like this feel in seeing their own like imagined reactions of like morally proper horror being like delivered by um a sort of stately black person uh and and i think that there 
that that's sort of the role that <clears throat> that Emmanuel Acho is trying to fill here. Um, and it's tough because, yeah, it is still, you know, it's still speaking to that audience. It's still sort of trying to, like, explain the pressure and the pain in a way that is familiar and palatable to that audience. Um, and, you know, he even asks how much of this pressure that Matt felt was internalized pressure. Um, and Matt just says, you know, this is just something that, that black men are accustomed to. Like you're used to trying to make people feel comfortable with your blackness. So like, there is a way that like, I feel like it's still like was circling back to like framings that a white audience would be receptive to, which is like, oh, well, like they feel like they have to do that. Um, I didn't do this. <laughs> I'm not responsible. It's very sad. Um, but, you know, it was to, like, I'm torn because like it was, I was glad to hear Matt be able to honestly say like, I had to do more than another lead would. My role was greater than just finding love. I also had to you know, be like an answer to what was going on in the country and on the show. Um, that's true. And it's not fair. And I was glad that he called that out. Um, and that he was talking to someone other than Chris Harrison. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Um, but it is still like, you just see the inherent limitations of kind of on this show, trying to talk to its mostly white audience in a way that they might be receptive to. Uh, in right. the, in and the a, minds a, of the the people behind the show. And especially without, as you touched on earlier, without like making firm commitments to the way that the show itself is going to change. Like there has been no commitment that Chris Harrison will not return. It seems that he will. You know, there has not been a commitment um, other than one statement that feels similar to a statement made in June uh, that questionably impacted the makeup of the staff, that they will have more Black people, you know, at the top and in decision-making roles. But, like, we didn't hear that promised on this After the Rose final. Like, it was, again, all channeled through Matt right. James. There was no, like, Emmanuel. producer brought on stage to be like, how did you and your how team you design this, this show? How did you put this pressure <laughs> yeah. on him? Like, how how can you change the show so that we won't have to sit here talking about the internalized pressure that like the next black lead puts on themselves. Um, that was something that was, I felt was extremely necessary and lacking. Um, and so, and he asked, you know, did you wish that you didn't have to bear that weight? And Matt, I was almost surprised by this because I, I, he hinted so many times about how exploited he felt by the show. Um, but he is still like under contract. He is still on the show. He says, you know, I don't regret anything. I grew a lot emotionally. I learned how to show my feelings and I met some wonderful women, um, which is like sort of the standard, like no matter what a gauntlet you run on the show, they never say I regret it. They're always like, (laughs) it was good actually. So we then move into kind of the Rachel and Matt segment of this. Yeah. They talk about it alone first. Yeah. Emmanuel brings up the photographs that have surfaced. Um, and and he and Matt sort of talk through the pain of those images first being seen and like him going through the process of realizing 
that this person who he had let into his life, this person who he was in a committed relationship with, probably didn't understand a lot of really core things about him and what it meant to be a black person in America. Um, and, And you could tell how deeply, deeply painful that process must have been for him. And it was like, frankly hard to watch yeah um he basically says that they were really good before this like they were having their honeymoon period they were super happy and then when he first started hearing about these things as the season started airing he just didn't want to listen to it he he was like oh they're rumors um he was trying to support his girlfriend and be there for her and he said, you hear things that are heartbreaking and you just pray they're not true. And then when you find out that they are, it makes you question everything. Um, as someone who grew up in the South, it takes you back to things you don't want to think about. People, places, events, you're not welcome. So he has this like partner who mm-hmm. adores him that he trusts. And to learn that like that there's something so recently in their past that you know she was attending parties that he wouldn't have felt welcome at that she was liking posts that, you know, he would have experienced as hateful. Um, it just makes you, it's got to make you think, like, how can I trust this person in the same way with my safety, with my, like, with my children possibly in the future? There's a loss of trust there. And, you know, we talk about, and I've seen a lot of, of Rachel's comments, like, oh, like, he, you deserve better. Like, you really loved him and he let you left you behind. Like, you can really love someone and hurt them with your racism. Like, that's real. Like, yeah. I I have I have definitely been that person in the past where my under-examined, like, thoughtless reactions to things around race were racially harmful to my boyfriend at the time. And, like, they don't... No one has to, like, put up with that from you because you love them. And they might also love you and still not be able to be in that relationship. Right. And, still not and have they to have take to lose on. someone like, they love too because, right. because of the harm that you're doing to them. And you could feel that like both Rachel and, and Matt were in deep pain over all of this. And also, ultimately, both on that stage acknowledged that this was an understandable outcome yeah. of these actions, right? Like, you know, and, and I'm always so struck by the dissonance even between the white women commenting with such fervor on Rachel's post and what Rachel herself actually said. And I think, Claire, we talked about this last night that like the audience, it's not even like Rachel is this avatar. It doesn't even matter what she says or how she publicly responds. Um, They want to excuse her because ultimately it excuses them. You know, it lets us as white women off of, off of the hook for, um, you know, acknowledging like the the deep harm that things like this can cause. And even if you learn from those things, y- you might you're not entitled to be in that relationship. Like if yeah. that person doesn't You're not entitled to have a relationship of any kind Ever. with anyone. Right. Like anyone right. is entitled <laughs> to never forgive Rachel. Anyone. Um and that includes Matt, uh, for sure. <laughs> of course. Um, people are very uncomfortable with the thought that, like, they might never be forgiven for something. Like, that's human. You want to feel like you can demand forgiveness, but that's not how this works. 
And that's right. why it like is important you... for Rachel to like publicly go through this process yeah. and model accepting that. Um, as Which I, I think that blessedly she she did pretty well. Um, but yeah, you can't, you're never entitled to forgiveness. You don't do the making amends. You don't do the things you can control as a person who caused harm in order to like receive uh, affirmation that you're still good. That's not why you do those things. You do those things because you want to repair harm. Yeah. Uh, and and what you get from that, it's an open-ended question. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just the knowledge that you did the work to try to repair the harm you could. Yeah. Like what you get from it is making the world hopefully better. Uh, that should be the goal. Right. Um, I mean, I was sort of almost surprised by the timeline Matt describes, which is basically that he was just being supportive of her until she publicly admitted that it was true. And they, and then he started to kind of take a moment for himself to think about how he was feeling about all of this. Now that that behind the scenes process had kind of played out and culminated in this public apology. And he was like, and then I realized I wasn't okay. Like she didn't understand this big part of me, if we had kids, she couldn't maybe at this point, as far as I know, be there for them in the right ways. And he tells Emmanuel that he has taken a step back to let Rachel do the work that she needs to do. And they've broken up and that it was very difficult. Um, but he says, if in 2018, you don't understand what's wrong with that stuff, then there's a lot of me you don't understand. And I think that's kind of it. Like when he said that, I was like, yeah, that's that's the thing, right? Like yeah. it's hard to kind of move past that. Like I believe people can grow, people can change. Matt himself says people are not irredeemable. But again, Matt doesn't have to be that educator. Matt doesn't have to be there in yeah. that process with someone who has to start from such a basic level of, of racial education. Yeah. And we again see Emmanuel like stepping into this like audience surrogate role, like repeatedly asking like, well, people might say you didn't love her if you broke up with her over something from so long ago. Like, isn't she different now? Couldn't you teach her? Couldn't you grow with her? Isn't it callous to judge her on something so long ago? It was like kind of hard for me to hear these questions even being asked. I can't imagine how you know black people yeah, might have felt. It, it, um, it, it was a little bit rough and I can see why. I know some people watching were just like, what the fuck? Why is he even asking these things? And I was torn on it because on the one hand, I was like, these questions feel incredibly fucked up. And on the other hand, it, I mean, and again, maybe this is just I'm thinking through this as I'm saying it. Maybe this is just another example of like the educating of the white audience being put um, as the more important thing versus like the well-being of the black lead who's on that stage. Yeah. But it felt like what Emmanuel was trying to do was – to to like get ahead of the comments yeah. that these white people would inevitably be making and like mm -hmm. just consider that something that had been like addressed and yeah i think that is that was kind of the thinking behind it was to like just address it um personally like i did sort of feel like it just it offered those questions with this sort of form of authoritativeness that I don't think they deserved yeah. and and set, that's set Matt up to have to account for them. And I wish that they could have explored 
that question in a way that was maybe more sensitive to Matt's experience. I agree. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, But Matt basically is like, you know, you can still care about someone and want them to do better, um, but I can't be part of that process. And Emmanuel's like, I'm very proud of you. Um, And then he's like, now it's about to get uncomfortable. He is very committed to his branding. He very (laughs) sliding and uncomfortable. Shoot your shot, man. You know, yeah, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. They're not bringing him on permanently. Like he's got to, he's got to use this time. Um, So he brings Rachel out. And I think, is it the same dress she wore to fantasy suites? It looked very familiar. It's like a red velvet. I don't know. But yeah, it was a red. She, I mean, she looked, she looked beautiful. Uh, you've got to when you're coming on stage to discuss your history of uh, racism. Racisms. Yeah. Um, it's not, uh. So he asks how she's holding up and she says, you know, it's been a lot, but I don't want to victimize myself. He brings up the photos at the antebellum plantation party. He explains to our lovely audience that antebellum means before the war. So it's honoring the South before the war that freed the slaves. Just like making all he's that. Like, in case he's like this, the American education system yeah. is very shameful. In case you like haven't like put those like really subtle disparate pieces <laughs> subtle together. Pieces together. <laughs> he puts up a picture of her at the party and asks her what she sees. And she says, you know, someone who is living in ignorance without, like, thinking about who will be hurting. She says she never asked herself the questions about what they were really doing at these parties, what it represented. And, um, you know, she could have asked the questions of herself if if she wanted. Um, And he asks if she blames anyone for her past ignorance. And she's like, no, there's no excuse. Um, Just, you know, it's just because it's normal where you grew up. That doesn't mean that it's okay. And you know, I don't want to blame where I grew up or anything like that. Yeah, Um, and I thought it was interesting that she specifically said, like, people have been saying to me that, you know, this is normal for uh, them, so it can't be racist. Her Instagram comments are just, like, a trash sea of people being like, girl, you're too good for him. Like, what you did was totally chill and great. And, like, like, you're strong. No, 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 I'm I'm telling – no, I'm saying it's not – like not yeah, she's not like normal. i it's broke okay. the heart of the man that i love through my racism like please stop telling me it's okay um and he emmanuel tries about a few different like he's like what you did was really racially insensitive that's not the same as racism but it looked like racism he's like it played out as racism i mean i think I think he's this still is why just the, trying like, to, like, gently lead the audience to be like, how could this he, be wrong when I didn't do a hate crime on purpose? Right. He's 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 being, like, too generous to the, the racist white audience. Um, but I also think it's, like, this is where the framing of, like, Ibram Kendi, ex-Kendi, is really useful in that, like, racism is not about, like, the heart uh, and soul of a person and determining, like, parsing out whether that person's like heart and soul is fundamentally racist or not but it's about like are your actions racist if your action played out as racist then that is the thing that matters and like the rest of it is just kind of semantics and and doesn't matter like what we're talking about here is impact and what we're talking about here is like are you living your life as a white person in a way that is actively anti-racist? And clearly she was not. And clearly 
those actions were racist and like whether or not she is a capital R racist in her soul just like simply isn't relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that's where a lot of white people who want to think of themselves as good get like very tripped up when talking about these things. Yeah. Um, So he asked why she took so long to release a statement. And she says that before she said the words, she wanted to understand exactly what she had done. And I guess that took a while. (laughs) Um, And he asked what steps she took to, to learn. She says, you know, I can give you a list. I can say I've been reading this, I've been watching this, but education is great, but like nothing is going to change if we don't take actions to put that into play, which like, okay. So like, please give us a list of those actions then. Like, I would love to just like drill down a little further here. Um, but I that could see, happen. yeah, yeah, I know. It would have been nice to get a little bit more specific, but I could also For example, see that she was- change the show. Yeah, change Rachel, the show. take that down the Bachelor cool. 2021 challenge. You know what? That would be- that would be the best way to redeem yourself. Just like, just like, I don't know, destroy Chris Harrison in yeah. one fell swoop. They're and smart. also they didn't like do the entire live. executive team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, he's like, well, didn't you worry that these photos were going to come out and ruin your life? And she's like, I literally never thought about it even a single time. Like I, at the time, I just like didn't even know. And so like I didn't remember it that way. And that feels really Honest, I think that is often how white the case. people, yeah, right, are allowed to move through the world. Like, you get to not be aware of this shit. You get to do something that's harmful and move on, and like never consider it again until yeah. you're confronted with it. And then you're like, well, it's really not fair that I should be facing consequences for a thing that I didn't feel bad about at the time. And like, I'm sure it feels really blindsiding. Um, however, like that doesn't mean that you shouldn't face consequences for inflicting harm on people um, who probably noticed it a lot themselves. Um, He's like, so you still love Matt? And she's like, yes, so much. Um, She says that when he first called her to end things, she was very confused. She was very blindsided. But then she thought about how strong their relationship was. And she knew that he must have been very hurt to end things over this. Um, and it was very hard to know that she hurt him. Um, and he's like, so you're ready to see Matt? And she's like, no. And he's like, ha ha, Matt's like, here. Great. Matt. Here Everybody he is. Gentlemen, bring him out. He's like, I don't yeah. even know why I asked. You're going to see him anyway. Uh, and you can just see that when Matt comes out, like both he and Rachel, like their faces just like darken. Like they're both in pain yeah like she clearly really wants to see him and be close to him and he does not want to see her at all because they are experiencing their pain over this in different ways uh right and she says you know i'm really sorry um i i know it must have been really hard for you to end things because we had such a good relationship before and i'm sorry for like the pain and, and for, for not understanding you. it and for not understanding it at first. Yeah. And then Emmanuel asks how it feels to see her so torn up about hurting him. Again, Emmanuel. this is just like such a a response to what the audience is going to be thinking, which is like, she's really yeah. sad. Like She's sad. Comfort her. Comfort it's her. your responsibility. Why be so cold uh, and unforgiving? Um, and this this speaks to a position that 
you know, black people are often put into, which is to like placate white people, especially white women, um, when they are upset. About the racism that they have done. About the racism, about the harm that like those white women have inflicted on them. Um, and, And I was glad ultimately that like Matt didn't play into that. He didn't seem to feel, you know, that he had to like make it okay for her. And and I don't think that it was a problem that she expressed emotions, but it also wasn't his responsibility to like receive process and um you know fix those emotions. Yeah. It just seems like we're still coming back to this situation where like I was glad that Matt felt able to stand firm in that moment and to be like, I don't want to comfort her. I don't want to be responsible for her tears. As she said, as he says, I don't want to be responsible for her journey. I don't want to give her one last embrace. Like he doesn't want to do those things. um, And that's should be okay. But to have like the show being like, don't you feel bad about how sad she is? Please speak to that. I feel like, again, we're just, like, framing Matt as if his responses to this, which are very valid and should be supported as, like, something that needs to be excused or addressed. Right. And and if they were going to do that, I wish that at bare minimum in equal part, they were also prodding Rachel in that way. Of, like, look at the pain in Matt's face. How does it feel to have hurt someone that badly? Yeah. I, I you know, like, like that. Like, it's almost like she preempted it by just being like, I hurt him so much, I feel terrible. And so she doesn't get like pressed in that exact way. And instead, she's given a lot of like, well, what you did wasn't really racist with a hard R. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, she's given a lot of um, because of who she is, she's, you know, white lady, she's very sad because. She front loads um, her her guilt. What she gets in response is like comfort. And when Matt is like withholding comfort from from her, he needs to be like pressed on that. He needs to explain himself. Um, and that that was hard like because then you see i should stay out of her comments that makes me depressed like people being like oh he was so cold to you it's not fair like yeah stop stop looking at that trash heap i mean i i also look i hope i also try to remind myself that like there are a lot of people that watch this stuff and that hopefully get messaging from it um that don't go into the comments and like trash (laughs) like that like there there might also be white people who saw this and like maybe understood something that they didn't before and like I I really hope that's the case um and I also hope for Rachel that like look it's not giving her a gold star of, of any kind but I do think that we so often see white people um sort of glom onto those messages of like, you did nothing. You deserve better. This person who you harmed with your racism is actually the real villain here. And like cling onto that and almost like double down and and harden themselves and learn nothing. And it does not seem as of now that that is 
what she's going through and that is not how she at least has responded publicly um and i was glad glad to see that and i was glad mm. to see her emphasize multiple times that she harmed him yeah that she hurt him deeply mm-hmm. like the harm like she's the one who enacted the harm and as a result she has she is hurt yeah but that is as a result of what she did yeah i mean when Matt is trying to respond to the question about how it felt to see her so sad, he says, you know, it's heartbreaking, it's devastating. And then he says, it's disappointing. And what he then says is the most disappointing thing was having to explain to her why what he saw in those photos was problematic and why he was so upset. And, and you sense that like their relationship might have gone differently if she had privately with him gotten it gotten it quicker that like he was like i'm doing real work here i've been hurt i've been made to feel like unsafe with my partner and and she's not taking it seriously she doesn't get it um and when you think that you have found someone that you really know and are really safe with that's really painful and yeah, so he uh, he doesn't really make excuses. He doesn't apologize. He's like, you know, I couldn't be in the relationship anymore. And um, Emmanuel asks her how she would communicate that the woman he fell in love with is not the woman from 2018, three entire years ago, maybe about two when they fell in love. Um, it's this this woman, this new 2021 woman. And she says, I tried to communicate that with him. He's the reason I came on the show. That includes every part of him. And she's like, I I can never love someone like this again. And so Emmanuel asks if the door is even slightly open for reconciliation. And Matt's basically like, no. Like, I still feel things. Like, of course, I'm human. This is painful. But I don't want to be responsible for your tears like I don't want to be responsible for your growth frankly Mm -hmm. yeah and that's work she's gonna need to do by herself and like it is what it is yeah like sometimes when you harm people they 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 might still care for you but they need to not play the same role in your life and like that's how it goes yeah and that's it's sad but it like yeah it is what it is yeah and he's like i hope people don't call her out but call her in and that she will continue to do the work and manuel asks for her final words to him uh before she walks the plank and she says all i want is for you to be happy i just want what's best for you i'm sorry i thank god for ever putting you in my life to forgive to begin with I'll always be thankful for everything we shared and they're invited by the host to share a final embrace and Rachel's like yes like leans forward and Matt just like does just like a, like doesn't respond he's just like <clears throat> uh, and then he just says I don't know if I'll, it'll ever not hurt hearing these things and that's his only response um, he doesn't they, they never embrace like he clearly doesn't want to and He's clearly just still, like, I'm still being made to suffer by, like, rehashing this relationship that I wanted to last forever and that can't happen because she (laughs) went to racist parties, like, two years ago. 
and being asked like why I'm making her feel bad like it it must have been a a rough I could not imagine how painful that night was for Matt yeah and like I just like I like wanted to I don't know yeah I I just wanted better for him and I was like fuck yeah like I just they could have not they could have done so many things better and the show didn't and he suffered and that is very sad yeah uh and then we make like a very intense tonal pivot again where Emmanuel is like yes now that we have had that very intense conversation about racism now let's talk about bachelorette there's two of them which like it's already it's already tough to introduce the new lead in this airless audienceless room like there's no one to get hyped up the only two people that you have nearby just look like are like crying crying (laughs) they look like you know their grandma just died like there's no like hype energy in this room it's it's all a huge downer very funereal and to turn that into like, let's welcome our new bachelorettes. It's just simply not possible. It didn't work. Like he tries, he brings out Michelle and Katie. He gets them to announce that they're both bachelorettes in unison. They're going to tape two seasons. Katie's during the normal bachelorette slot, Michelle this summer. And it's just sort of like, you know, just like no energy. How could there be? What do you think? What do you think, Claire, about uh, Michelle and Katie? Oh, God. I <laughs> I think we're all just, like, too tired. I'm so like, I, like, I'm like, I want to be excited. And part of me is, like, I really – these are two women that I actually really actively enjoyed on the show um, and actually think both of them will be good leads. But just, like, the thought of getting fewer breaks from this show this year yeah. is, like, tough I'm tired. Me. I, I think so I think Katie's gonna have a good season with lots of like call outs and like clapbacks of the dudes. And I think that Michelle's is gonna be really fun and goofy. They're gonna bring different personalities, um, which is always a fun thing about the Bachelorette. I feel like we tend to get more personality in the lead. Um so cautiously looking forward to them, but at the same time. Hard to ignore that we just had a big conversation about all the fucking racism on this season. And they're like, anyway, we're filming new seasons like right now and everything's fine. And Chris will be back at some point, probably. Uh, definitely you won't see Emmanuel again. Um, bye. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? I mean, I just keep being like, it feels like there is at least an opening to keep making noise and make it like untenable for them to bring Chris back. We got to keep going. It's a small chance, but like I, you know, keep yelling about that because my God, like I don't want to see that man on my TV ever again. I just don't. I'm sorry. I don't. Who's going to mock the lead's mother's heartfelt words of advice? (laughs) How can they complete the season without that? I mean, on that beautiful note, I feel like, uh, we should stop talking because poor Sarah. Yeah. Uh, this is, got out of control. Ahead of her. Um, yeah. As usual. Uh, that's it for this Bachelor finale rich text audio chat. Huge, huge thanks to Sarah Patterson for editing this episode and just generally being amazing. Uh, Nick, we miss you. Uh, we miss our team. Always. Um, <laughs> we miss our team so much. 
You can find us on our Substack, Rich Text, at clarenemma.substack.com. And you can also find us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emily Rose. We'll be back with more bonus audio content on the newsletter. Oh, yeah.